We're on, a, we're on a series, as you well know, called This Is You, and, and we have addressed in this series some things that the Bible says that you are. We've talked about that you are adopted, that God brought you in a relationship with himself, not just to forgive you, but to make you part of family and to take you on as, as, as your dad, that we have a father in heaven. You're accepted, you're received, you have security, you're forgiven, you're a part of the family. You're gifted. You're not just born with, you know, just a blah. Every one of you here are naturally gifted, and through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are spiritually gifted. God has deposited something of the Holy Spirit in you to give you abilities that are supernatural. Okay, super means beyond. Beyond your natural ability, God has given you something from heaven in your life. And then because of that, you're different. A lot of reasons that you're different. We talked about that last week, but you're different. You're just kind of, face it, you're kind of weird. The world looks at you, you're just kind of, you don't fit. You're kind of a weirdo. You're, you walk to the beat of a different drummer. You have a different purpose. You, you walk to, you hear a different sound. You're, you're different. And then we talked about also that you are sent, that mission has been laid on you. And so we did this to attempt to capture the reality of the Christian life based on who we are and the mandate that's been given to us. So the Christian life is a life of forgiveness. It's a wonderful thing. We live as forgiven people. Yeah, sometimes we don't appreciate that because we've lived in, some of us, in a forgiven state so long and know how to apply that. We don't remember what it was like to feel absolutely alienated from God. We live a life of acceptance that we fall, but we're not kicked out. We're frail, but we're still in. That's a wonderful thing that you're accepted by God. We live, a, we live a life where we have privileges that other people don't have. It's called the favor of the Lord. And that favor brings a thing called blessing. God puts things on you just because you're his. And sometimes they're uniquely packaged types of things that he uniquely packages for you because God is a God of blessing. I enjoy blessing my children. It gets to be quite tense at our house at Christmas time. My wife, you know, is, uh, you know, let's, She's not as kind of liberal in giving as I am. She's a little bit more practical. You know, put some rocks in their stockings. No, but uh, some coal or something. But uh, I love to bless because I believe I express the Father heart of God. God is, a, is not some stingy God up there like some of these wealthy misers that we've heard about throughout history that had all this wealth. They couldn't even take their kids to the doctor because they just wanted to save the penny. No, God's just the opposite. God so loved the world that he did what? And so liberality really is an expression of the nature of God. And we are blessed people. We, there's no, no apology on that. Because we are blessed not to hoard it. We're blessed to be a what? A blessing. We're here to be a blessing to others because of the blessing. You know, it's hard to be a blessing to others when I'm, I'm, I'm going through scarcity and I'm limited and I haven't prospered. And I, I'm, 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 you know, buddy, I'm, I'm stressful too. Each man for himself. It's hard sometimes to be that. But God wants to give us everything we need so that our cup overflows so that we can touch other people. And we have great access to God, a wonderful thing. At the same time that we have access to God and all these blessings, at the same time we live a life that's empowered for service. Now, one of my favorite movies is Spider-Man. I don't know why Spider-Man is such a, you know, it's just such a, a cool movie. I like the ones that were in the early 2000, you know, two, three, four. I know they did remakes like within a, you know, within a few years. <laughs> That's crazy they did such a remake. But 
But uh, I guess they did the same thing with Batman, too. I'm sorry. I've got off on my, my, my comic book heroes here. But um, I remember Spider-Man, they had this phrase. Some of you will remember this because it's so New Testament. It says, with great power comes what? Great responsibility. Oh, is that good. So God does empower me for service. But with that, he's also asking me to pay a price for the power he gave me. Because i got to use that for others. There's great responsibility. And so we live a life that a mandate is on us. We live a life where we have to fulfill a mission. That we have to use what we've been given to extend his will and his purpose in the lives of other people. So, as we said last week, we are becoming who we are. He says a lot of things about who we are, but in reality, we fall short. But right now, he's working in us that we become who we are. Who we are. So we are his ambassadors. We are his reps on earth. We are his priests that represent God to people. And sometimes we represent people to God in intercession and prayer. We're also his royal, royal kids on earth. There's a story in, in Western history of Alexander the Great. You know, he conquered the known world of his time. By the time he was 30, what a goal. And then he just burned out and died, okay? He, he was rather driven, kind of burned his body out and died. He died in Persia. He just ran out of gas. But in, in this particular story that's told of Alexander the Great, there's a, there's a soldier who deserted in battle, and he was brought before the great conqueror. And of course, if you're a deserter, usually it's death, and you're coming before Alexander the Great, and he's not known to be just Mr. Compassion. And so he asks this, this soldier that's been brought to him, he says, son, what is your name? And the, and the, and the man could hardly articulate his name out of his lips. He goes, oh, my name is, my name is Alexander. He goes, what is your name? My, 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 my name is Alexander. Say your name again. Alexander, my name's Alexander. And so he grabs him, pulls him to himself, and he says, either change your conduct or change your name. Sometimes we got to understand that this is who God says we are, and we got to line up to it. We got to accept it. You know, I don't know. I've never read any personal journals of Prince Charles, but... I don't know if he really had any choice but to be the heir apparent to the throne of England. There was no voting. There was nothing where, you know, can we talk about this when he's in junior high? I want to go to regular school like other kids. I'm tired of wearing knickers. <laughs> tired of practicing etiquette. Tired of learning all these other languages. Tired of having to meet all these famous people. I just want to go out and play cricket with all my buddies out in the alley. You know, he just didn't have any choices. But that's the price of royalty. We don't have a choice. It's ours by birth. This time it's being born again. We are his. And he's laid on us a mission. You know, I never want to hear at City Harvest Church confessions that might sound like this. Hi, I'm Amelia, who lived a life of never knowing who I was. I never want to see hear that here. I don't want to hear something like this. I am Jack, who never really knew that God loved me. Or I am, I am Olivia, who never got an answer to prayer. Or I am Charlie, who lived a life of depression. Or I'm Jessica, who never overcame the effects of abuse. Or I am Corey, who never led anyone to Christ or helped them find Christ. 
Or Kayla, who lived a life of a pew sitter, sitting in the chair at church and did nothing to help the church fulfill its mission. I'm Sam, who lived a life tormented by fear. No, 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 we need to become who we are. You're a City Harvest Church because you just love to have your ears tickled, you, you somehow love my preaching, or you just love the worship team, or you like your friends here, and you just kind of stagger, but you, 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 things where you're tormented by, and you're, and you're hit by, and there's no condemnation there, but you just kind of submit to it. You submit to falling short. You submit to bowing out of the race. You submit to giving up on yourself and giving up on the promises of God. I have failed as a pastor if that's the case. My job is to get you to where you need to become who you are. And if I fail in that, I actually fail as a pastor. My job is not just to teach you to don't smoke and chew and hang around with those that do. My job is to make you into an instrument to fulfill the mission God's put on your life. As many people as we have in this room today, we have that many destinies that are unique, slated, designed for each and every one of you. And I may not have the specific know-how on your specific design, but I know the principles and the attitude, the perspective, and, and, and the connection to God that you need to fulfill that thing in your life. And so today we're going to address a truth. The truth is this, is that you are heard. And we're going to go to a scripture in, in Isaiah 49, verse 8, where God really is talking about the, the restoration of Israel as exiles back to the promised land. And it says this, thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I've answered you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Now, what I want you to know here is that there is a time of favor and that there is a day of salvation. God knew their oppression. God knew their suffering. God knew the length of their exile. But there was a time. There was a season when he was going to bring a response to the answers of their cries and their hopes to bring his promises to pass. Now, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2 uses this same thought. He uses this verse in describing our salvation, he's, and he's using it to bring an urgency that we are now in a day and a time where people need to decide whether they're going to follow Jesus or not. And that time is between the first and the second comings of Jesus. So Paul, taking the same thought, says this, for he says, in a favorable time, I have listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's now. The season's now. There are seasons when God takes his promises, and he takes your prayers, he takes your cries, whether it's crying to him, or are you just wailing in secret by yourself? And he takes those things and he brings to pass his purpose in your life. A day of favor. A day of visitation. The time is now. Now, if you look at the Bible, you'll see this is what the Bible is all about. Is people go through certain things where they're crying out to God, crying, suffering, moaning, hurting, believing against hope, and God seems to visit him. He caused Sarah to laugh because he gave her a son called Isaac. Now, why was that so powerful? Well, first, it's, it's a miraculous thing for a 90-year-old woman to have a baby. Okay, that's just, that's good. And then for her to be barren since the time she was able to 
to, to conceive a child. Let's say she was 15. She could have a child at the age of 15. So 15 to 90, just using an arbitrary first number there. She couldn't have a child, barren. And yet God said when she was 65 years old, he said, you're going to, you're going to have a child. And, you know, she went through some stuff and waiting. But when she did, you know what she named her child? She named her child, God has caused me to laugh. Seemed like God heard her pain when she was 20. And he heard her pain when she was 30. He knew her struggle even after he gave a promise and they didn't see it come to pass. He even saw that the way she tried to manipulate a situation to see the promise come to pass in her way, not God's way. And finally, God was faithful to her, and she understood what it was. Even though I was crying, God brought a season of laughter in my life. We have Joseph. Joseph with a great promise that he would lead his family, only to be rejected by his family, unjustly treated, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into an Egyptian dungeon, tormented by injustice and punishment that wasn't what that he didn't deserve only from that place God heard his cries and eventually in his time and in his favor God exalted Joseph to a place where he was second in command over the greatest empire of his day fulfilling the promise that God gave him when he was a teenager God had a season where he lifted Joseph's head up and said now the children of Israel, who are promised for four centuries before they occupied the promised land, that one day God would give them that land. Through many mistakes of their own and delays of God because of their own negative responses, they didn't possess it. Eventually, under the leadership of Joshua, there was a day, there was a time for God to give them what he promised to give them. There is a day, and there is a time in your life and in my life. David said this in Psalm 34. He wrote this in response to the time that he was in Gath when he was in the hometown of Goliath, the giant that he killed, trying to hide from the one who wanted his life, King Saul. They won't, they won't look for me. They won't look for me in Gath. <laughs> in Gath, I will not be sought out because it's the hometown of Goliath. That's the last place that they're going to expect me to be. Of course, when he got to Gath, you know, he saw statues of Goliath and parades for Goliath and memorial days for Goliath, and he saw his picture all over town on wanted posters, David, dead or alive, okay? It wasn't good, but he cried out, and he says, I sought the Lord, and he heard, answered me and delivered me from all my fears. I appreciate that. When I was first a convert, where I finally got stable as a believer was reading the Psalms, and the reason being because... In the charismatic Pentecostal days, of when, I got, when I gave my life to Jesus, all these books were just like instant victory books, you know, like from prison to praise. How many people remember that book? Okay, I, didn't, I can't even tell you what's in the book, but that type of theme where you just, this is where you are, you claim with faith, and it just seemed like the chapters went real short, okay? They're, my journey went for months and years, and their journey just lasted a few bad months, and then the rest of their life was just great. How to Live Like a King's Kid. How many people remember that book? I just felt like I wasn't a king's kid because my life didn't parallel what was being written in the book until I started reading the Psalms. And what I appreciate about David, a man after God's own heart, is this says that he delivered me out of all my fears. That David had fear 
like I had fear. How many people here have ever faced fear inside of you? Okay, that's fear of your future, fear of what's going to happen. Everyone's kind of together over here. All these people got problems over here, right there. And it says, this poor man cried. That means David didn't have answers. That means David had limitations. That means David came to the end of themselves. David didn't have any more strength. He was a poor man. He saw himself in a destitute state. And the Lord, notice, he cried. And the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. How do we know that God heard him? Because God ultimately brought deliverance to David. And he ended up becoming king of Israel. God delivered him. Now, why, why is this so important, Bob, as a pastor, that we understand that God hears us? Why, why is it important to understand that God hears you? Well, here's, here's the reason why that is. Because to fulfill your destiny, you must survive the ambiguity of God. If you're going to make it, you're going to have to survive the fact that at times God is shrouded, silent, unresponsive. You may even feel deaf, not in your life, far off, not make sense. Maybe you're here today and you're going through a financial situation that's been that way for months or years and it's not changing. And Bob, I give tithes, and I give this, and I give that, and I help this person. And isn't God watching? Isn't God seeing? Maybe you're here at a family member is going through a physical condition that's not getting better. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and prayed, and it seems like it's an iceberg that's not melting. Maybe you're here today, and you've got some besetting habit or sin in your life that you just can't seem to shake it off of you. And you're thinking to yourself, why isn't God helping me to get free. There could be a lot of deeper issues. You're not seeing why that's there. And that's why we have programs like Set Free and other programs like that to help you discover what's really tripping you up. But the issue is you're discouraged. Will I ever be free? Maybe you're, you're in a place where your critics don't seem to let up. They're just on you and on you and on you and on you. They got you under their scope and they won't let you alone. Maybe you're in a place where where your future wife or your future husband hasn't arrived yet. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for that husband. Where is he? We've been waiting for that wife. Where is she? Maybe your ministry dream hasn't come to pass. These things are, are true now in your life. We can't deny the reality of these things. But the thing that we got to come to grip, and, and God's being very, very unclear. He's being very, very cloudy. He's ambiguous. He, you don't know where he's at. You don't know what to do. But the, but the verdict... The verdict hasn't come in yet. The jury is still out. And that's the thing when you're trying to fulfill the will of God that you've got to hang on to. I can't let go of my trust in God even though he is silent, even though he seems far off, even though he's confusing to me, even though he's not there. So let's kind of get a little theological for a few minutes here. Let me lay a theological foundation that will help you at least grasp God in times of ambiguity. First is this. For God to be God, he's got to possess three essential qualities. The first quality that God has to have, and this is, this is logic. If he doesn't have these qualities, then he's not God. 
is a thing called omniscience. Omniscience means God knows all things. His knowledge is complete. That means God is not learning. That means God's on a continual learning curve. So when I kind of blow it, God's not looking down at me and saying, man, Bob, I am shocked at you. I can't believe that you did that. Because his knowledge is not learning me. His knowledge is complete of me. I always get a kick when I'm in community groups or small groups and someone's praying for somebody. Like They're praying for Uncle Bill. The prayers go like this. It's, I found it very humorous over the air. Uh, uh, Lord, we're praying for Uncle Bill. He's had an ulcer now for 11 years and now his duodenum is inflamed and he's got gastric juices that are coming out through his IV. And, you know, they're kind of going through this whole thing and I'm thinking... You don't have to educate God about Uncle Bill's condition. God's knowledge is complete. You know, and, and you know, and he's going to run out of money next week, and they're going to kick him out of the hospital. Well, God knows he's running out of money. And these people are educating God. It's this hilarious thing to listen to people pray where they're educating God who knows all things. You know, God knew millions of years before he created the earth that he was going to send Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. 1 Peter 1, verse 20. Listen to this. He was, he, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Foreknown. God knew about his son coming to become a man before he ever created the earth, but was made manifest in the last times for your sakes, for the sake of you. Foreordained, manifested now. This is what I love about prophecy that unfolds the future. Because in prophecy, the gift of prophecy, think this, God by the Holy Spirit comes to an instrument who is his spokesperson, man or woman, to declare things that God sees in your future because God is not bound by time and space so God knows your complete future. And he doesn't give us the whole thing because that's wonderful because we would not depend upon him. But he gives us a glimpse so that we know how to prepare ourselves and take steps of action to fulfill it. Because God is all-knowing. God's omnipresence. He is omnipresent all the time. In other words, he's, God is everywhere at the same time. Now, whenever we say that God is present everywhere, it doesn't mean that God is physically present in creation. That's called pantheism. You know, God's in the trees, he's in the mountains, he's in the fish, he's in the ocean. No, he's not. He, God is separate from his creation. In fact, he created out of nothing, okay? He created out of, he just said, let it be, and he created it. We argue about where those things began, the timeline and everything. I got a wonderful answer for that. God knows. But the issue is, is that God, God is everywhere in attention. He's attentive to his, his creation in every place at the same time. So today, he may be doing something in your heart today by the Holy Spirit right here. And he's also in Peru. He's doing something in a, in a, in a bar somewhere there. He's also maybe in, in Kyrgyzstan. And he's touching someone there. And he's in China revealing this to this person. He's attentive to his creation in all places, everywhere at the same time. Because he's not bound by time and space. And, and he is, and he is part, apart from his creation, but attentive in all places to his creation. When I was a youth pastor and I used to let the kids out for a, you were on a tour and 
You get to go to San Francisco for the next two hours shopping. I, I, I didn't want to babysit him. I didn't want to micromanage this thing. I just said, listen, let me talk to you about the big eye. There's a big eye. Anybody who was in my youth ministry knew that Bob's lecture on the big eye. The big eye's watching. The big eye will reveal whatever you did. You can lie to me, but he will find you out. The big eye. And I always try to find some story where someone got exposed by the big eye. Just to scare the Hades out of them. All right. God is, God is omnipresent. You know, Isaiah 57 verse 15 says this. Isaiah 57 verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, not space and time, whose name is holy, for I dwell in a high and holy place. I'm separate from creation. I'm not bound by this material world. But this is a beautiful thing. But I'm also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. He's transcendent, as it says in theology. He's also imminent. He's close to each one of you. Paul said, he's right there if we'll just grasp for him in Acts 17. He's everywhere. And then, of course, God is omnipotence. In the words, he's all-powerful. Now, for God to be God, there's nothing that can happen really outside of his control or power. And if something can happen outside of his control and power, that means that God is wimpy. He's not almighty. But if he's almighty, nothing can happen. There can be no other competing power. There can be no other competing controlling agent. He is over all things. Now, because of that, he's present everywhere and he has knowledge of all things. That presents some theological issues for people that they really wrestle with when it comes to God. So, in wrapping this up today, kind of bringing this home, let's play a little game here called Stump the Pastor. We need Stump the Pastor. Let's ask a few questions that people wrestle with in their mind. Question number one, if God already knows what I am going to pray, why, why, why pray? Why pray? Now, and Jesus didn't help us on this. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, he says, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So if the Father knows what I need before I ask Him, His knowledge is complete. He's not learning. He knows what I'm going to pray. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I want to talk to Him about. Why pray? Just kind of go on. God will do what He will do. Like the Muslims say, if it's the will of the Lord, whatever God wills. Kind of this passivity, whatever God wills. Whatever God wills. You go in the Middle, Middle East, you go into Central Asia, it's whatever God wills. Whatever God wills. It's just kind of the culture. It's what it's stirred. Why talk to him? Why petition him? Why cry out to him? Well, a relationship, and that's what God is all about, a relationship really requires three things for a relationship to take place. There has to be a thing called conversation. Second thing there has to be in a, in a relationship, there's a thing called dependence. You know, as a pastor, when someone just comes to me and says, you know, pastor, should you pray for me? Or pastor, can I, can, can I get your thoughts? Even if my thought's not perfect, can I get your thoughts on this? Or what do you think this scripture means? Or, you know, I need to decide something. I sure would like your input on what you think. You know, I feel very loved when someone needs me. It does something to me as a pastor, but more than that as a human being. 
So a relationship is, needs conversation. Relationship needs dependence. And a, a relationship needs gratefulness or thankfulness. What would you say, wives, if your husband said to you, you know what, I don't want to talk to you. I don't need you. And you've done nothing for me. How many people would th think that that is a great foundation to build a marriage on? But we seem to want to have a relationship with God by removing those factors out of that relationship. So God, in his mystery, uses our prayers to bring about his will. So even though he knows what you're going to pray for, because Jesus didn't say stop praying. He says just don't insult God's intelligence when you're praying. He knows, okay, by thinking you're going to say the same thing 50,000 times and somehow it's going to move him. Have a relationship with him. Have conversation with him. And then thank him for what he's done. And then depend on him. And that language helps us to become dependent. Well, Bob, question number two. God sees my suffering and cares for me. Why does he not act quickly? That's a great moral question. Just like that. How come he doesn't come quickly? Now, the Bible is clear, as we've said, that God is in control of the universe. He's omnipotent. No power exists except that of God. Anything that does exist, exists under his authority. Even maybe people, sometimes you don't like being in office politically. Somehow in the sovereignty of God, he raises up one and he brings down another. God's in control. But the Bible is also very clear that the world in its present state is evil. So here we have a God who's over all things, and yet underneath him, evil exists. And so how do we reconcile that? Well, God, he loves us. And in his wisdom, he has a plan for why he might delay. Well, why would God delay? Well, one, maybe God is lining things up for him to fulfill what you need. You know, the classic scripture on this is Galatians 4.4. 4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Obviously, the apostles who wrote the New Testament felt that there was a calendar where God said, now. He was, fore, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but he's been manifest in our time. God was having things lined up. A lot of things got lined up in the Roman Empire. One, prior to the Roman Empire, every city was at war with other cities. What they brought was a thing called Pax Romana, or Roman peace, so that on the Appian Way, you could travel from Jerusalem to basically Britain without being, you know, maybe robbers and thieves, but without being interfered for with a war, Roman peace. So traveling to get the gospel spread. The universality of man was a common thought in Roman thought that, that brought a place for the universal church, a concept of all of our uniqueness as many races coming to one God who created us all. It was already being postured in the Roman Empire. You had in the Roman Empire, you had a absolute, a lot of people don't realize this, you had a revival of people saying, we're going to throw away polytheism, we're tired of mythology, we want to find out about the one true God. So where did they hang out? They hung out in, in synagogues, and they were called God-fearers. So when the apostle Paul goes to the synagogue, it wasn't just to reach Jews. It was to touch those God-fearers. That was kind of the philosopher's coffee shop. I'm going to the seekers. They're looking for answers. So when Paul got kicked out of the synagogue, who started following Paul? The God-fearers are looking for the one true God. They would follow Paul. That's where the churches got started. God brought one language culturally that connected the Roman Empire, Koine Greek. And so there was a common language of communication. What a stage 
to unleash the church. What a stage to unleash his apostles to begin to, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, it spread all throughout the eastern region. We know that because Paul says, I fully preach the gospel of Christ. He's talking about his eastern region of the Roman Empire. And then I'm going to come to Rome and I'm going to start moving west to Spain. And so we see that God lines things up. Sometimes God does things in you to make you ready for what he's going to do. I mean, God gives us promises that right now we may not have the character or the skill to handle. I know that's kind of hard. We want everything now. We want a college degree now. Well, you know, you can't. You can probably get a degree somewhere. I'm always just so fat, just taken back by pastors that get some honorary degree and they call themselves like, you know, doctor or so-and-so. Guys studied, you listened to a few YouTube tapes, okay? It's, you know, it's just always done, but I got a PhD, no, 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 no. If you're going to get an education where you really live out what that education meant, it's gonna, you're going to pay a price. God wants to put something in you. He wants to take you through his own schooling to prepare you for what he's going to do through you. Sometimes he's testing you. He's stretching you. He's, he's, he's developing faith in you. I've told you so many times. I'll tell it to you again. If you want to get strong, you got to lift big things. People come to me, Bob, I got my little two-pounder here, and I got a little blood going in my bicep. Wonderful. That'll probably help blood. That will help your bones. But he said, I'm going to get really strong. No, you won't. You Try, like, picking up a 40-pound rock and carrying it around for 30 minutes. Now you're going to get strong. 40-pound rock. I'm aching. But you're getting strong. You're getting strong. And God gives you rocks. Gives you rocks to carry. Called circumstances that you got to push through with your faith so that your faith would be able to be developed to handle what God wants to give you in that. Ultimately, though, God wants to bring glory. Everything in the Bible is about the glory of God, not you. It's about his glory. He's setting the stage for his glory. And sometimes he sets impossible stages for his glory. Stages that you and I couldn't create, that for it to take place, only God could come through. In John 9, they, the disciples saw this man born blind from birth. Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We always seem to want to blame somebody why there's something going on. But sometimes all it is is God setting the stage for him to bring glory. He says, neither, but that the works of God would be manifested. This is a stage set for me to show off. And some, some of you are in circumstances that you say, how could I have gotten out of these circumstances? And I want to tell you, you couldn't. But God's ready to do something. He's going to bring glory through your life through that circumstance. So why, that's why you're at where you're at. And God's about to do something. That when men look at what he did, they're not going to look at me. They're going to look to God and look what he did. Look what he did. You know, the third question, probably one of the toughest ones, if God knows that something's going to take place that he doesn't approve, why does he allow it? That's the tough one. That's the tough one we face in the area of justice. You know, for God to bring about his will through it, in the earth, he has to bring it through a broken universe and through a broken race called the human race. I don't know if you've noticed, but 
were kind of flawed. And I don't know if you notice, even nature sometimes doesn't act too nice. We're in a flawed universe. I mean, to understand the wisdom of God, you've got to understand a worldview that we're not in a perfect state. The world's not in a perfect state. Something's gone awry in that which God created. We'll say, well, if everything happened instantly, then God would show himself. But one of the things in that logic that, that takes place, it excludes the interpretation of how the Bible describes man. Because the Bible describes man with a man possessing a bent to be independent and autonomous from God. And so as God would give us more stuff, we tend to grow in independence with it, not dependence on him. If you look at the story of Babel, it's a fascinating story. The children version, you know, when you're in the doctor's office, you see this big tower that goes way up into the clouds. And that probably wasn't what it was. It was a ziggurat. But most likely, culture at that time had tapped into something. Don't ask me what it is. But they tapped into something that God was fearful that if they tap into this, I won't be able to redeem them. So I'm going to divide them to reunite them through the cross. That's why, if you can put the story together, in Acts chapter 2, they heard tongues spoken from every language around the Roman Empire because God was making a statement. I judged the world and divided it, but now through the cross, I'm bringing it to me through Christ. God unified. See, when we just think in human terms, you're going to come with some good issues. But if you're going to think within a biblical worldview of how God is operating, you can understand why God would allow this. The other thing we need to, we need to understand is that evil gives opportunity for good to be seen. Take the cross. I don't know if anything was more evil. The things that Jesus suffered. But in that, look at the great good that came out of it. Let's take your life. And I've heard the stories of many people in this room. You know, sometimes we got this thing called beat that testimony. You know, beat that testimony, you know. You know, I had this happen. Well, I had this happen. Well, I had this happen. I had this happen. I, you know, my mother left me. I had no mother. I wasn't even born a woman. I'm, I come from outer space. You know, we just kind of have this, you know, we're going to up the, you're just going to up the ante. Who just suffered more? The issue is some of you have incredible stories of suffering. But I also know that there's tremendous stories where God came and people showed love, and that love screamed because in contrast to that evil, love became love. And your pain became your platform, and your test became your testimony, and you became something you wouldn't have become on your own. Evil gives opportunity for good to be seen. The other thing we need to understand is God works through his church, not around it. So if evil is going to be conquered, it's going to be conquered through the church. And so I applaud every Christian that gets involved in medicine to find answers. Or government to establish systems of justice. Or engineering to create something that might advance the purpose of God. 
Why are we seeing so many people get saved? Well, God's just moving. Well, yeah, I'll tell you who he's moving. He's moving through satellite disks. He's moving through computers. He's moving through the internet. He's moving through global communication. He's moving that I can get to the other side of the world in 10 hours. Okay, he's moving all through all these things that came because man began to take his gift to dominate the, hum- dominate the world and through that, the advancement of the kingdom of God. And God's gonna work through his church. God will put Satan under your feet shortly. And so closing this up, worship team, come on up here. What does God hear? God hears everything. You know, Abraham cried out to God to bless Ishmael. Let Ishmael live before you. See, Ishmael was the son of his housemaid, Hagar, not, not his wife, Sarah. They concocted a plan to help God out. And God said to, God said to Abraham, he says, you know, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless Ishmael. But uh, that's, that's not who I'm going to fulfill my purpose through. It's going to be Isaac. It's going to be the one that I'm going to bring. So the answer to your question, Abraham, is no. I know we don't like that. No. But I'm going to bless that young man. You know, Ishmael's name means the Lord heard my cry. Heard Hagar's cry. She was mistreated because of this whole scenario. God heard the cry of a rejected child. God heard their cry. God fulfills his purpose because he responds to the things he hears from us. He hears our faith. He also hears our unbelief. He hears our crying. Sometimes he hears our grumbling. He hears it all. He hears the injustices that happen to us. He hears the mocking that comes against us. They mock Jesus on the cross. This man saved others. How come he can't save himself? And God just sat in the heavens, just said, watch. Watch how he's going to save himself. Watch. He hears. And he's going to respond to us based on what he hears. Is he going to hear faith, trust, dependence, humility, justice in our heart towards other people? Or is he going to hear unbelief and mocking and grumbling and disillusionment and mistreatment of others? What he hears is like a seed. And seeds become plants. And the seed that he hears from you is going to turn to the fulfillment of your destiny. Or it's going to be the contrary to that. It's going to be the plant of you missing completely why you exist on earth. We're going to make it. And we're going to survive ambiguity. We got to trust. Let's stand to our feet.